You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Molly, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, so we are joined with Molly Sanza from Foxtrot. She's the director of real estate and expansion. Uh, she's based out of New York City, and we're super psyched to have you on the show. Why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, how you, how you came to uh, into the real estate world, and a little bit about Foxtrot. Okay, sure. Yes. Um, happy to be here. My name is Molly Sanza, just like you said. Um, I oversee all of our real estate and expansion at Foxtrot. Came to Foxtrot from the real estate brokerage world um, in New York City, obviously focused on retail. And if you're not familiar with Foxtrot, which I'm sure some of your listeners are, and hopefully more of them will be soon, we are the digital evolution of the corner store. So what that really means is we are a neighborhood corner store and cafe. Um, We're based out of Chicago, and we have 17 locations today. We're in Chicago, Dallas, and DC. And we're really the first group that are building enjoyable, comforting, welcoming, and well-curated uh, corner stores, kind of disrupting that world that that seriously needs some disrupting. Nice. So like, what what is a corner store in your mind? Is it like a bodega? Is it a, a, every all of the above that you can get anything? And then talk a little bit about like, what does digital evolution of the corner store really mean? Yeah, for sure. So that's a really good question. Kind of tease it up well. You know, if if you think of your neighborhood bodega or a 7-Eleven, you know, I don't think people love to hang out at their neighborhood 7-Eleven. Some, some people may, and that's okay. Scratch tickets, scratch tickets. <laughs> um, they usually don't have a whole lot of seating. But yeah, it's really about creating an environment that's welcoming and is somewhere that you really want to hang out. So Originally, the idea, we kind of fell into it, actually, and this goes to the the digital piece, too. Originally, you know, we started as an app. It was meant to be just kind of an aggregator and a curator to deliver really great grocery products um, throughout Chicago. But kind of by surprise and by accident, our founders had to open a store that was open to the public to meet licensing requirements. And they realized that people actually really loved hanging out in the store. So there was great coffee and great music. And it kind of fell into what Foxtrot has become today, which is, like I said, really that neighborhood hub. It's warm. It's welcoming. We build a beautiful store. Um, you know, you can find your favorite snacks there. We have great grab and go food. If you're you know, popping down for a minute during, you know, a lunch break or before calls, you can meet people there for a coffee in the afternoon or an avocado toast on a Saturday morning. Um, and then you can get a great glass of wine or bottle of wine. Uh, you know, it's usually organic, that kind of thing. And some nice meat and cheeses, whether it's to bring home or bring to a friend's house for a dinner party. So it's really like the new age version of what we all know and rely on, whatever your equivalent is, whether it's a bodega or, you know, just a, you know, your local gas station, whatever it is, we all go to those places all the time. Um, and it's meant to turn it into something that's enjoyable. 
And then the digital piece is our app. So like I said, originally we started on the app. We have 30 to 60 minute delivery all day long, um, depending on where you are. And that's where, you know, perks and paying with the app, it, it becomes this ecosystem where people, you know, are interacting with us all day long and ho hopefully multiple times a week through our app. Cool. So are you guys uh, like in the, like competition with some of these like 10 to 15 minute delivery companies like the Jokers and the Gorillas of the world? Like, how are you guys unique? Like, what's the differentiator there? For sure. We are in competition with them in some respects, right? Um, I think the most important piece of it is that people are learning to depend on getting things really quickly, right? So I think that's going to be something that we're going to continue to see, whether it's through other grocery delivery providers, whether it's through the seamlesses of the world, you know, that's just the direction our world is heading. And we, we were already doing it before the pandemic. You know, it was definitely a big part of our business during the pandemic. Um, and we continue to do it and we continue to do it reliably, but our biggest differentiator is that even before you think about or factor in any of that, we're a great amenity. We build beautiful stores. We have amazing private label items that are crazy flavors and super craveable and you can't find them anywhere else. We're doing so much within our, both our stores and how they look and feel and our product offering that it's unique and it's different. And it's more than just the service that gets you things. There's things that are specific yeah. to Foxtrot that people love. Right. So you got that neighborhood feel of like your corner store, your cafe with specialty items versus like going on another app. And it just feels like kind of you can find whatever you can see in the grocery store. And it doesn't really matter where it's coming from, just as long as it gets to you in 15 minutes and you've got your milk and your bananas and your toothpaste or whatever. Right, exactly. And so we have those items. We, you know, we think of those as like the comfort items. You can still get a Wix and a Coca-Cola from Foxtrot. But I think what really sets us apart and what people really like about us is, you know, we had the Carbone pasta sauce before anybody else did. We have amazing dill pickle chips that are Foxtrot branded that I personally, as someone who doesn't even live in a Foxtrot city, like obsess over and stock up on whenever I am in one. Um, our gummies are like one of our top sellers and, and we, we really specialize in small makers, local providers. So there's a lot of thought and frankly, obsessing that goes into what makes it on our shelves. And it's things that people seek out and are really excited about rather than just like, you know, my fastest way to get a Gatorade. Yeah. That's interesting. So you must have somebody or a team in house that like curates all of this cool stuff. Like, are you guys like going, going on field trips to like Vermont and figuring out where the best cheese is and how we get that in our stores in Chicago and stuff like that seems like a pretty yeah. cool job. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, who's our CEO, he like, he gets in the weeds on all that stuff. He still loves it. Um, and a lot of that came from him. You know, he was the one doing that initially. Now we have a full team built out that does it. And sometimes they, one of them said something to me about how I have a cool job because I get to travel to all the places. And I was like, I think of the people at Boxtrot, I probably have the least cool job because, you know, I'm dealing with real estate and everyone else is trying coffee or wine or snacks or ice creams or, you know, obsessing over how to get the perfect ratio of flavor on our potato chips. And to me, that's the really cool stuff. Well, real estate's still pretty cool. We'll get into that in a second. Talk a little bit about uh, your your day job and how you guys think about real estate. But obviously, yeah. congrats. You guys recently announced, I think it was last week or the week before, that you've raised, what was it, $100 million bucks um, in a Series C financing. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've been doing well through the pandemic and, and to enable you guys to, to get to that level of, of funding. 
what's next for the company? Like how, how are you going to spend that money? And you know, what's the, what's the broader vision? Yes. We just closed our series C that was led by D1 capital, um, which is a New York based group. And it was a hundred million. Um, you know, we closed our series B just about a year ago and the series B was really, I think as a little bit of an outsider, when I was, I was kind of coming into Foxtrot at that time, it was kind of like, okay, now we're going to take Foxtrot and really bring it to the next level. We're going to expand, we're going to take kind of a national lens to this rather than you know, what it was before, which was in a kind of our organic growth mode, um, phasing in new markets and new stores, you know, at a, at a good clip, but not at the rate that we're at now. Um, and also across the board, we leveled up in just every capacity, our marketing, our store design, our, uh, private label has grown like crazy. Um, you know, the quality of our, our staff and kind of the best in class brands that everyone has come from. So this past year was really a leveling up and a, a decision to kind of take this to the next level this next year. And, you know, what this funding will really drive is kicking it really in one more year, right? So, you know, we're gonna open, I think it's another 17 stores this year. So we'll double our store account this year. The plan for the next 24 months is just to keep growing at that at that rate. Um, adding in new markets, I can tell you I'm traveling all the time, trying to find uh, the next market for Foxtrot and continuing to grow things like private label, our wine offering, we have our own private label wine, um, and the quality of our technology to just keep us differentiated, keep us interesting and keep us with that kind of cutting edge against our competitors. Cool. So you got to open up 17 stores in the next year, which means you're going to be a very busy person. Uh, I think I remember when we started working together, you were on the road, like in the thick of it through like the pandemic. And I just remember being on calls with you being like, where are you now? Like you're traveling. Like I'm so jealous that you get to travel, yeah. but you know, maybe that, yeah, maybe that wasn't that cool, but at the same time, it's only just going to get amped up now. So talk to us a little bit about your thesis around real estate. Like what types of locations are you looking for? Are there certain neighborhoods, demographic uh, data points that you guys care about? And then like, how do you go from identifying a market that you want to be in all the way to doors open? Yeah, great question. So we take kind of a dual approach to it. Um, we have a strategy team and obviously our real estate team, and it really starts with strategy. We kind of talk about the art and the science of it. So they'll look at the data. They use our existing stores in Chicago and compare them against new markets. And so the performance of something like our old town store and what the demos are in the surrounding area and compare them against a certain trade area, call it Nashville, let's say. And so before we even, actually before we even narrow it down to a short list of cities, they basically rank that criteria and how that city scores in terms of total store count, how many trade areas match our target demographics and the call it challenges to opening, right? We deal with liquor licensing often, which is not the same in any two states. Rents, obviously, permitting, those kinds of other factors and what the challenges can be versus the benefit. And so then they'll rank based on the top 20 MSA is kind of what their recommendation is. And they do a similar thing when it comes down to the actual trade areas within a given city. But the general ethos is that they'll make recommendations based purely on the data. And then we'll compare it against what is more of the art of it, which is what we're seeing on the ground. So Nashville actually is a great example based purely on where the demos are today. The demos of even the last census, you know, it's a great market, but it's a little bit small for us. Maybe it's not going to have the exact 
growth potential in the immediate future that we typically target. However, anyone in this real estate world knows that Nashville is on fire, growing like crazy. Amazon is coming. Oracle is coming. Every retailer in our kind of like category and our friends are very active there. You keep hearing about people signing there. So that was one that was not originally on our list. And we said as a real estate team, you know, we're really hearing that there's a lot of interesting things going on in Nashville. I think we should go down there. And just within a day, the number of commitments we were hearing about, great names from New York, LA, Austin, Miami, opening in Nashville, and cranes weren't even there yet. They weren't even in the ground to build these buildings that are delivering two years out. So that was one where right away we said, okay, you can't just purely look at what's here on paper today. It's it's where this is headed and kind of the brand equity we would get from opening in this market that's red hot and our you know brands we like to associate ourselves with are doing as well. So, you know, it's, it's not perfect one or the other. We definitely work yeah. together. Um, and then we do the same when it comes down to, you know, even down to the physical corner. Of yeah. Space we're talking. Yeah. That's where I was going to go with this. Cause you have, you come from a retail brokerage background. So you must have like a good sense of like what a good space is or a good location is like, are you guys using brokers? And let's say you decide to go to Nashville. Like, how do you find your, your top broker there? How do you then make sure that you're ending up in the right space from just like a brick and mortar perspective and like what are the key drivers that like obviously aside from kind of msa data but like from a real estate perspective how are you guys working through that process because if you go into nashville you got to make quick decisions right like space is going to get snapped up pretty easily how's the actual process work i think for our listeners yeah for sure So yes, we do use brokers in every market. Um, The strategy team, kind of the next step, once we identify a city, they'll provide a high level trade area analysis. So basically their recommendations of which neighborhoods to target. But that's kind of where they step away for kind of what we all know is the traditional real estate process. And then they'll come back in for the approval. So we'll use those as our kind of recommendation on the ground, in the car with the brokers. And then it's really up to us, right? Obviously with with major recommendations from the brokers. Our biggest drivers are residential density, obviously to the extent we can pin down where the millennials are. Um, There are kind of different categories of millennial or even Gen Z now. There's there's sub-millennial subcategories now? Yeah, I don't know if there are officially, but I definitely break them down a little bit differently. Um, I usually say that the Foxtrot customer is what I call a true millennial. So in their mid to late 20s up until, you know, mid to late 30s. And I usually call that out because, you know, there needs to be some spending power. It also goes down to just spending habits. So, you know, maybe your social life is a little bit different from the postgrads of college who might be more in their partying phase. You have to be actually really excited about getting a nice bottle of wine, some meat and cheese to bring to a friend's house or, you know, young parents who are picking up uh, some yogurts and bars and things like that for young kids. So I usually say it's that, that true millennial. It also means they probably have a little bit more disposable income. And, you know, we try to target the health and wellness and fitness co-tenants and, and those customers tend to be interested in those kinds of things as well. So that's kind of our, our, target customer. Did you also ask about how we pick the right corner? Yeah. Th- that was, yeah, yes. for sure. 
So a lot of that, like when you go and you tour a market, some are more obvious than others, right? Where exactly Maine and Maine is. I think one of the really interesting things about Foxtrot is coming from Cushman Wakefield in New York, I was working with a lot of really institutional owners. And in order to, you know, be at Maine and Maine, there was a certain caliber of landlord and space, right? It was probably new construction, big high ceilings and all glass and all of those things are great. I think it's been really fun to come to Foxtrot and see, to kind of like take it all the way back to the beginning, right? And to see these crazy buildings that from a traditional institutional, maybe like office owner, you'd brush over it or you think, oh, that's a development site or, you know, that space is going to be such a headache to try and bring up to code or upgrade. And it's kind of fun because Mike, our CEO and the team at Fox are like, their eyes will light up when they see that. And it's fun to be part of a brand that's doing interesting things and cool things. And you're always balancing it against sometimes you need to be in the glass and steel buildings because that's where you need to be. But being having the leeway to also pick out like that crazy building that looks like it's falling down would be amazing for Foxtrot. It's a lot of fun to kind of like unteach myself a little bit. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Like, it's totally different. Like if you're going up Bryant Park in New York or whatever, and you're looking for retail space, you're going to end up in a tower that has a corner glass unit and, you know, it's probably a Starbucks or something else, which is totally different than, I want to find the weirdest, coolest building in like this specific neighborhood and have that be actually part of the, you know, like the brand, the brand of the space itself. Because like as consumers, you walk around the neighborhood, you're, you see stuff like that. You're like, oh, that place looks cool. I'm going to, I'm going to pop in. And then you like pull somebody into your brand. Whereas every Starbucks kind of looks the same, right? They're not in generally cool buildings. Yeah. Yeah. And our design team does a really good job. Even, you know, whatever the kind of blank slate that they have is, they do a really good job of making every store unique and using the character of the building to influence the design of the space. So it's not just, no matter what kind of character of building it is, it's not cookie cutter every time, which is a lot of fun too. And just because you hit on it earlier, I know like the digital side of the the business probably like uh, thrived during the pandemic. Has has the real estate side changed at all? Is Are there market dynamics that are like different than like when you guys first set out to do this that are either challenges or opportunities just because of COVID. I know there's still uncertainty out there, but and maybe it's regional and city by city, but have you noticed anything different? Yeah, definitely. I think during, it's so funny how, I don't know exactly. During, how to we are during, yeah, we're still during. during. <laughs> I, I, don't, I was going to call it the pandemic proper, you know, yeah. like the true kind of first year, right? 2020, call it. At that point, Foxtrot was in expansion mode. Not many retailers were, very few were, in, in fact. And the team prior to me joining was able to lock in some really great deals, right? And even if they were just regular deals or you know, not, not at such a crazy discount, great spaces were coming available. So I think that first year was kind of categorized by more opportunities. And the you know, of course, you can be a beneficiary if you're able to transact at a time when most people are not. I would say since then, it's very market by market and it's evolved even month to month since then. I think, you know, the message would probably be the same from a lot of people in my same role that right now in the cities that we're active in, it's very competitive, which is kind of crazy, right? To step back from 
the real estate retail brokerage world that I was in prior, you know, winter 2021 in New York City, there was just nothing to even do. No, no tenants were active and there was a lot of space on the market. And I know that even in New York, I hear from my former colleagues, there's pent up demand now and it's great to be well-funded. It's great to have, you know, be in expansion mode, but there are a few of us that are, and you know, it's, it's still hard out there. It's hard out there again. Yeah. I, I would imagine like the pent up demand is real. I mean, we, yes. we, we have a lot of retail restaurant customers that are just like on fire, just opening up like dozens of stores and, you know, maybe they weren't going at the same clip during the, you know, the deepest, darkest days of 2020 in the pandemic, but it's not like people have this like misconception that like, Oh, retail's dead. There's always like headlines out there like, Oh, another mall closes or like, you know, retail's dead, but we see it. We see the data in our system and it's like, Holy crap. Like retail's on fire right now. Yeah. And I think it's good. I mean, I think it's kind of driven, I think hearing about it over and over really for almost the past six or so years, this whole, exactly like you said, this kind of like retail apocalypse story in the weirdest way, I think, it condensed a few years of that and has led to some crazy turnover. Like if you look at certain projects like Bethesda Row outside of DC or Coconut Grove in Miami, just with the turnover that they've had, it's this whole new class of brands that's coming in that, you know, many of them, the dry goods one are, ones are direct to consumer and, you know, with us and the, the other great quick service categories and great restaurants that are probably vegan or health driven. It's a whole new kind of millennial and Gen Z category that's in expansion mode, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. I mean, to think that like all of a sudden restaurants are just going to go away and die is just is yeah. ludicrous. You know, like something new is going to come and fill the void at some point. And they're not all going to go into like the suburban shopping malls, but like, that's fine. I don't, I don't really know too many people that still go to those, but. Are turning over because, you know, the the whole message that millennials were never going to buy houses or move out of the city, I think has been proven wrong by the pandemic. Yeah, that's a good point. You have a very unique perspective as having been on the brokerage side and now you're on the tenant side, maybe someday you'll be on the landlord side, who knows, but like, you'll have the trifecta there, but like, what is different? Like, how do you, I mean, the, the, the role of a broker is obviously an advisor, but you're also like, it's a sales job, right? You're trying to get listings. You're trying to get hired by tenants you're advising people now that you're in the driver's seat. Like, have you learned anything new that like you kind of, Oh, I didn't really think about it from that perspective, or this is something that I didn't expect out of like being the actual like tenant who's signing the lease or looking for the, for the space. Like what, what do you think is different? Or if you're just like, no, it's just all real estate. That's totally a valid answer as well. No, I mean, so much of it is different. Um, every day is, is totally different. I think a lot of people ask me kind of what it was like coming from brokerage to in-house. I think in the weirdest way, like I, I almost kind of act as this in-house broker or master broker, whereas a lot of it is, it's this crazy funnel that kind of passes its way through me and then back out into the company. So I'm kind of that gatekeeper, whatever analogy you want to use, but I'm dealing with a million things, juggling different brokers, different sites, different markets all at once. But I'm also communicating all of that to design, construction, merch, our leadership team. And and those are still the people that are really in the weeds on the day-to-day operation of the business. 
So I'm absolutely one step closer. I'm probably a few steps closer to kind of the meat of it, but I'm still, you know, in a weird way, it's kind of this like hybrid role where I'm kind of that in-house broker, I guess. I mean, I'm not yeah, actually- that makes but... sense. Yeah, you're the one that has to like communicate everything to all of those stakeholders and right. make them understand like why you're doing what you're doing and no, we can't do that. And this is why. And yeah. just, I would imagine you're, you're gaining consensus a lot, which is a tough job. For sure. And I think the biggest adjustment or learning, you know, to your question is just the pure deal volume and the fact that every market is distinct from one another. And the real estate world is so nuanced. Every site, every deal, there's 10 million factors. And then when you add on how quickly we're expanding and the fact that we're a convenience-based model, so we need multiple locations in any given market at once. So just the pure amount of things I need to keep yeah. track of on any given day. I mean, it's it in the weirdest way, it's almost like a real estate worker's dream because just, you know, I'm super busy. We're totally in deal mode. We're in expansion mode. So it's a lot of fun. I feel, I feel super blessed to be in that position. You know, not all retailers are, but it's a lot to juggle. Yeah. Now, being in deal mode is way better than being in sitting on your hands, waiting for the market to come back to you mode. Um, all right, cool. So the final segment of our show is always a fast five questions. I haven't told you what they are. That's the whole point. We're going to surprise you with some. We're going to give you one minute um, to answer each question. I guess if you don't want to answer, you could say pass and I'll come up with something else, but they're usually usually pretty thought-provoking. Um, so I think we'll dive into question one here with Molly. Um, what is the best advice that you've ever received? Ever? ever your whole life oh my gosh um oh gosh that's such a overarching question um this is kind of a half answer I mean I don't know if it's explicitly advice or a ton of advice throughout my whole life but I am the youngest of four kids and my mom is like a total badass lawyer um I have no idea how she's doing it with four crazy kids running around and just being a a boss babe. So honestly, just the example that she set for all of us um, is just, I hold myself to a standard that's, that's trying to emulate her and I don't know how she juggles it all. And, you know, I don't have kids. So just having that kind of behind the scenes all the time is that's probably the best advice. Yeah. More of an example than, than advice, yeah. but I guess your mom, there was definitely there's, advice. There's yeah. definitely, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure some taken, some ignored. I get it. That's all yeah. good. All right. Question two, what's your favorite meal? And it doesn't have to be from a Foxtrot store. It could be whatever. So my favorite meal slash item is tacos for sure. Um, we have great breakfast tacos at Foxtrot, a little bit of a plug, but I, I go through different phases. I used to be a like burger girl, but I just love tacos in all forms. It's definitely my. All, all forms. Like, yeah. Yeah. All kinds. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a taco. Okay. Are you a uh, early bird, a morning person, or are you a night owl? When are you most productive? Night owl, for sure. I take a while cool. to ramp up. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. Um, I'm, I'm the opposite, but I'll, I'll, I can sympathize. Um, all right. What is your most used emoji? Let's look. I'll be, I'll be inspired. As soon as I see it, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's either the like 
the one that's like, hmm, or <laughs> recently it's been the one with the swirly eyes. It's just like totally overwhelmed. <laughs> oh, so you're like a, you're a face person. Old school with the emojis. Yeah, those are, those are good. I mean, some of them could be interpreted in other ways. I use the cringe face one a lot. Sometimes I think people think like, oh, that's cringeworthy. Other times I think they think I'm like smiling at them. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I use the side eye one, which I think is meant to be judgmental, but I used to think it was flirty. So <laughs> <laughs> it's in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. All right. Yeah. Question number five. And the last one here, if you could win any competition, what would it be? Um, I'm going to take this one back, not to end on a dark note, but I was a rower in college for the runner up to the national championship. Oh, wow. Um, I could go back in time. Sorry to go there. One. <laughs> um, where did you go to college? I went to Brown. Oh, nice. Runner up. And what, what event is there? Was it like. So they break it down the, the team trophies based on three boats um and the total like point score we came in third in the team event twice and then the top varsity eight de- decides the is kind of like the top trophy you can boat. Get. yeah yeah and we came in second in that one who'd you lose to um that was ohio state they were on quite a tear three out of the four years i was in college so where 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 was where, is the national championship in the same body of water every year or does it change around no it moves around that year was in indianapolis which is the headquarters of the NCAA. cool sorry to end on a, a low note there <laughs> but you know just same stay, same level yeah. of competition that keeps me going in the real estate world every day that's right you got to have that edge yeah awesome well molly thanks for joining us it's been fun um it was good to get to know you a little bit better hear a little bit about Foxtrot and where you guys are headed. Super exciting. Um, if uh, our audience wanted to learn more about Foxtrot or yourself, like how, how, how can they find you? Yes. Um, find us on, well, our website is www.foxtrotco.com. And our Instagram is a lot of fun, which is just at Foxtrot Market. That's the best place to see all our fun content and items on our shelves and the quality of our build out. Cool. Well, everybody, look look out for your Foxtrot store in the city near you coming soon, hopefully. Yes. And Molly, th- thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. We'll see you later.